a national championship to preview. We have transfer portal news to talk through. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kids, folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, DJ Uwe Ungulale has committed to transfer to Florida State. What did I learn from Jackson Arnold's debut as the starting quarterback at Oklahoma? And we got to get into what is going on at Ohio State and what is Ryan Day going to do to try to fix it. But first, let's talk about the national championship, which will be played on Monday night in Houston. That is number two, Washington versus number one, Michigan. And I am fired up. We got 14-0 versus 14-0. We have an outstanding quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. who reminds me so much of Omar Little, but also is cold-blooded for continuing to wear that do-rag out in public. I really, really love that about him. Hey, the wave's got to be cooking. On the other side, we got a dude in Blake Corum whose chain is hanging low, who absolutely broke the Michigan school record for TD, rushing TDs in a season when he was mugging at the camera as they tore apart Alabama in overtime, running the football, playing outstanding, and what is going to happen with Jim Harbaugh. But first, let's talk about what it's going to take for either one of these teams to win the national championship and who I think is going to win the national championship. Now, let's do, do it this way. Let's say... I did not expect Michigan to be able to get to Jalen Milrow. I did not expect Michigan to be able to sack Jalen Milrow six times and five times in the first half. And if you watch the film on us, and I did, all five sacks came on the only five blitzes that Jesse Minter chose to run at Milrow. They had also picked up on the thing that I've been saying about Milrow all year. Love that man, but he holds the ball for too damn long. Same thing is true of one Jalen Hurts. Perhaps he'll grow out of that. But Michigan said in the interim, in the present, if you're going to hold that ball, you're going to eat it. And even when he got time to throw, he didn't throw the ball very well. And his best receiver, Isaiah Bond, had just one catch all night. Outstanding job by that Jesse Mentor defense. Outstanding job by those guys on the outside, including Will Johnson and Mike Sand were still inside. And then linebacker play from Michael Barrett Jr. Colson was otherworldly. But that pass rush being able to get home was a big deal. I think that pass rush is going to absolutely have to get home if Washington expects to beat, or excuse me, Michigan expects to beat Washington in the national championship game. On the other side of that, I'm also looking at it and I'm going, doggone, man. If you know that this is the pass rush that Michigan can pull out against a program like Alabama, what could they do against Washington? Another thing that they got to do if you're Michigan is absolutely run the football. That's who they are, though, right? And I thought it was really fun to see Blake Corum continue to get touches and to build and build as that offensive line was able to do, well, what we thought that Michigan offensive line was able to do all year, which is wear people out, get into the third and fourth quarter, and then sit on people. But they also proved they have the moxie to come from behind, which is something that we had not seen them do all year because Michigan had never been behind in the second half of any football game in 2023. They need to go 75 yards down the field and a gotta-have-it moment. They go for it inside their own 50 on fourth down. They go get seven, and the momentum seems to be on their side. Nick Saban basically admitting that he did not want to play the rest of the regulation, wanted to take this thing in the overtime, thought they would have a shot. 
Michigan answered the bell on both sides of the ball. They ran the ball with authority. They knew where they were going to give the ball to that dude wearing number two on his chest. And then on fourth and three at the goal line, you know that they want to run Jalen Milrow. You stack up that gap. You don't allow them to penetrate. You bring him down before he can get to the goal line. Just an outstanding Michigan football game, frankly. It is old school in the way that I think even Nick Saban would love to see football be played all over the country. Like that, that Michigan team reminds me of that 09 Alabama team, that uh, 2011 Alabama team where we're going to play stifling defense and we're going to run the ball. We're going to sit on your chest. We don't need to throw the ball all over the yard. But you know what? When they did have to, J.J. McCarthy showed that he can be that guy. He is absolutely living up to his billing as a five-star quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines, right? Now, I think if you put J.J. in a different system, he probably throws for a ton more yards and gets a ton more opportunities. But that's not what they do at Michigan. They want to run the football. They want to go play action. And they want to give him the ability to make plays on the perimeter given opportunities where you know they're not going to, say, commit a linebacker to spy him or you just lose contain. Having that guy be able to really run away from people has changed the way that we get to view this Michigan offense. Matter of fact, I think this Michigan offense, as much as I do want to compare it to 2009 Alabama, 2011 Alabama, also shares some similarities with 2012 San Francisco because the quarterback, as a rushing threat, is so important to what they do as a safety valve, right? Now, you also got Donovan Edwards, who was doing some pretty nice things there. Also, that throwback, I the former quarterback should have thrown a better ball to his quarterback, but credit to J.J. McCarthy for making that one-handed catch, for turning and making the throw downfield to Roman Wilson, and really to that entire Michigan staff and that roster for showing the wherewithal that they have said they have all year. And as things continue to seem to go against them, they continue to get stronger. Again, it is the best Michigan team that we have seen since 1997 with the best chance, one game left, to win a national championship since that team. I also think that you got to take advantage of this moment if you are Michigan. And taking advantage of this moment means don't go away from what you do well. If you notice what Texas was good at, how they were able to claw back into the game against Washington, you notice that Cedric Baxter, C.J. Baxter, was able to run the football with some regularity and some authority against that Washington defense. Washington gave up 180 yards on the ground. If you are Sharon Moore, you have to believe that you can go for 200, 250 against that Washington defense. They're 43rd in rushing defense this season. And you'll be able to eat up the clock and keep Michael Penix Jr. and those wide receivers off the field. That's what it's going to take. Now, on the other side of that is you can't muff punts. You can't miss field goals. You're going to have to score every time you have the rock against a Washington offense that is the best one you are going to see all year long. They know how to score. It does not shake them to play from behind. It does not shake them to be in one-score games. Matter of fact, in one-score games, that's winning time for Washington. They go win those. They are 11-0, right? Uh, excuse me, 10-0 against ranked opponents in one-score ball game. So if you give them the ball back at the end, expect them to go get six or seven. So you need to score eight or nine if you're going to give them the ball back. Otherwise, you got to do everything in your power to try to keep it. Storyline that I'm also watching here is, this game is going to be not just Michigan's best chance to win the national championship. It might be Michigan's be best chance to win the national championship for the foreseeable future. We're all talking about what Jim Harbaugh may or may not do on Tuesday of next week, even as the national championship game is being played on Monday of next week. But I put it in perspective this way. 
it's not just that Jim Harbaugh has flirted with going to the NFL every year since 2020. It's that the schedule for Michigan next year is ridiculous, all right? Like, I was on here talking about how Texas got the softer schedule compared to Oklahoma and the SEC, but this is Michigan's, this is some of Michigan's schedule in 2024. So you got number two Washington in the National Championship game on January 8th. You've got number three Texas on September 7th. You've got number two Washington again on October 5th. You've got Oregon, number eight in the college football playoff selection committee's rankings on October, uh, excuse me, November 2nd. Then you got Michigan playing Ohio State, number seven. Maybe they'll fall after the loss to Missouri. We'll talk about that on November 30th. What I'm saying is you got all the smoke coming your way if you are the Michigan Wolverines. If there was ever an opportunity to get out while the getting is good, this might be it. Now, that said, Michigan has looked at schedules and been like, I don't care. Y'all think we don't play nobody in the regular season anyway. Well, that's because you mostly don't. You play Penn State, you play Ohio State, and really nobody else that we continue to think is good, especially in your non-conference. Now, I'll be curious to find out whether or not they decide to keep this Texas game on the schedule, and you better. You, you, be, you better not duck Texas. But if you do, I'm here for it, because I think that game's going to be outstanding and fun, especially, especially if Quinn Ewers decides to come back. Let's talk about what the Huskies have facing them. Now that we are over the trepidation and fear of losing to Texas Huskies fans, I need you to get on the good foot. I need y'all to have a great time watching it purple rain in Houston. You about to get chopped and screwed in Houston, dog. We got we got the quarterback wearing the do-rag in Meg the Stallion City. In Lil Flip City. Okay? And if you Sharon Moore in Paul Wall and Riff Raff City. You know what I'm saying? We got some slim thug happening with the Washington Huskies. Okay, I understand y'all do grunge and y'all get to do the, you know, the plaid shirts and the Kurt Cobain thing up there, but I need y'all to come down here and get this chameleon air on, okay? I need you to be thumping in the trunk because that's what you got with these Washington Huskies. These boys know how to go get it, and they are led by that dude wearing number nine. Look, that man is passing for more than 325 yards per game. That man put up 430 pass yards on Texas in a college football playoff semifinal. And that man has led you to a school record 14-0. and They have won 21 straight games. Washington is absolutely that squad. And check this, man. It ain't just that Michael Penix Jr. can absolutely sling it. It's that he's got these fighter jets on the outside, all right? He got Romo Dunsey. He got Jalen McMillan. He got Jalen Polk. He got Giles Jackson. And if Dylan Johnson is healthy, he got that dude too. That's an 1,100-yard rusher that they got back there. Look here, man. If y'all do this thing where y'all can absolutely go score on Michigan, that might be a wrap, dog. Y'all might be holding up the national championship trophy. And it ain't like you ain't got the, the head coach to do it, okay? Kalen DeBoer been through it. Come out of Sioux Falls. All that dude has done is win. Like, his record is ridiculous. Winning, winning, winning. When he got to Washington, first it was, hey, look, who was Kalen DeBoer? We're the University of Washington. And I'm like, hey, look, all that dude has done is win at the lower levels and at Fresno State. And now, with Jeff Tedford's blessing, he your dude. And after year one, it was like, oh, I see. And now after year two, they, they hope that dude don't go nowhere ever. You know what I'm saying? We talking about Kalen DeBoer getting up there with Don James. 
in the whole hierarchy of what it means to be a head coach at the University of Washington. Don James, also the dude that first gave Nick Saban his job at Kent State, goes back deep, deep, deep with the Washington Huskies. I'm also going to add in here that if you can keep Michael Penix Jr. clean, this game goes cleanly for Washington, okay? So Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, and yet people still talk with the slander and write with the libel about what this offensive line can or can't do. They have allowed 11 sacks all year and not a single one against Texas. They keep that man, Michael Penix Jr., clean, okay? Like, a, like he in a new suit, clean. That man does not hit the ground with that offensive line protecting him. And you know what? He gets the ball out of his hands. So if Michigan can get home, they will be the first to be able to get home with regularity. Nobody has sacked Michael Penix Jr. more than twice in any game this season. Okay? So we're going to find out real quick who's probably going to win this game because it's going to be right there. Offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award last year, right? The offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award this year and one of the best defenses in football playing against the best passing attack in football. Very excited about what this game can be. Now, I think that this game reminds me so much of everybody's favorite state championship. Okay. You know how it is in your state. You got one 6A squad that's undefeated, another 6A squad that's undefeated, and they show up together and it's like, damn, I don't know which one I'm going to bet on. I don't know if I'm going to pick the team that's got the great offense or the team that's got the great defense. And really, it's about which style do you uh, trust the most and which one do you like the most, which means that I got to make a pick. And I had been going back and forth, back and forth the last couple of days on who I would pick to win the national championship. And bear in mind, I was wrong on both accounts of the college football playoff, right? I picked Texas to be Washington. I beat, picked Alabama to be Michigan. So if I picked your squad, maybe you are fearful. If I don't pick your squad, maybe like, oh, we got this in the bag. RD ain't been right about the college football playoff all year. 2024, you know what I'm saying? It's 2024. However, I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies to win the national championship. I think that, that passing attack is one of the best that we have seen in the last four years. That includes C.J. Stroud and Ohio State in 2022. I also think that we have a defense that has shown itself credible for Washington, right? It is not the worst defense in the world, kind of like Oklahoma in 2018 or 2019. Just throw that out there. And they should show that they can win in winning time, right? In one-score games, which is what I think this is going to be, Washington has come out ahead and on top. And I doubt that you're going to give the ball back to Michael Penix Jr. with time left on the clock and an opportunity to go win the football game. So that all taken into account, I'm picking Washington to win the college football playoff national championship and to go 15-0. and 0. Either way, we'll be here live on Monday night to talk about who won, how they won, what it means for what they won, and then get you set for what's coming in 2024, including a way too early top 25 ranking, which we'll be able to read at foxsports.com later that same night because I've been working on that all bowl season. All right, now let's talk about the biggest storylines of the bowl season so far. And I think what we got to talk about is number six, Georgia, destroying number five, Florida State, 63-3. Georgia has been ridiculous in these bowl games of late. I think you got to take it back about three years for the last time that Georgia saw a team score more than 21, not named Ohio State, in a bowl game against them. And you take it back to last year in the championship game. Yeah, that wasn't close. 65-7 to against Texas Christian. In this game, 63-3. to 
However, this game was not like the national championship game because we had opt-outs galore on the Florida State side. We had a few on the Georgia side, notably Brock Bowers among them, right? But that wasn't the story of the game. The story of the game was just how bad Florida State got beat. And even Kirby Smart went out of his way to point out everybody needs to see this game and see what the opt-outs and the transfer portal have done to the bowl season. Like, in a big bowl, by the way, Orange Bowl is a New Year's Six game. Like, there's a time when everybody wanted to win the Orange Bowl because the Orange Bowl would decide who won the national championship. Now, we're talking about with the expansion of the college football playoff, we're talking about teams that don't get in and how they basically check out for the rest of the season and how that product looks on a football field. And that's what you want to really protect. You want to protect the integrity of the football being played. It is the foundation of credibility. If we don't have good football being played, people are going to stop watching the football that is being played, okay? Always and forever, we're going to talk about the quality of football. Even Tom Brady in the NFL was talking about, I don't see good quality football. I'm like, hey, dog, hey, chill, chill now. Them, them pros too now. And he's like, well, I'm the best that ever did it. Fine, fine. But does the ball system need an overhaul is really a question that we got to answer. And I, I'm going to answer that one. But I'm also going to point out, Florida State showed up, man. Like, I understand there's no Johnny Wilson. There's no Keon Coleman. There's no Trey Benson. There's no Jaheen Bell. There's no Jordan Travis. There's not even a Tate Rodemaker. But they did show up, and they did play. And under the worst and hardest circumstances you could. Like, this blowout reminded me a lot of Oregon playing Georgia in Dan Lennon's year one. That was a real gut check. That was a wherewithal check. That was a, do you have the respect for yourself and respect to the game to keep going out there and trying to make plays? Are you Steve Rogers putting up your hands going, I can do this all day as you're getting absolutely ragdolled? Like I learned a lot about the integrity of that Florida State football team. And they earned so much respect from me. Even as they were absent more than 450 starts or, uh, and 130 of this season's 286 starts. This was the first uh, worst loss that they had suffered since 59-10 Clemson in 2018 and 49-0 Florida in 1973. But again, I look at it this way. These dudes answered the question, can you be perfect? They were perfect. They went through the entire regular season without a loss. And then they won the ACC championship without their starting quarterback. And they were penalized for it. They were told they weren't good enough, even though there's no loss. For them in 2023. They also showed what I try to tell everybody, especially about the job that I get to do. Hard work does not grant success. It is the barrier for entry. You have to bust your behind to get an opportunity, even a sniff at an opportunity. And even then people will close the door on you and do frequently. You have to be willing to fail at this. They showed what it looks like when somebody does fail at this. Okay. You didn't do enough is what they'll say in the regular season. You didn't win by enough. You didn't look good enough. You lost a quarterback. Okay, sure. When nobody gave them a chance, they still showed up to play and still won these games. Fate was predetermined by others, which, you know what, is the reason why I envy you if you're a Florida State football player on this 2023 season. Because we know forever, this wasn't about you. You got to show, hey, look, I am what happens when you give everything. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. You know that I'm fond of talking about Greek mythology and I have Aristea tattooed on my forearm because it is a gift from Athena. You have to be willing to die in battle to get it. Matter of fact, you have to be dead to get it. 
And if she chooses you, yeah, you get to wake up and vanquish your enemy in that one battle. It's a gift. But it is her right to pass you over if she doesn't want to give it to you, which means you're just there, given all you have on the battlefield. And that has to be enough. We tell these kids that if you work hard, good things will happen. This was a case in which that was not true. So if nothing else, let's be honest about this. Let's tell the kiddos straight up, hey, you can be perfect, but that doesn't mean we're going to pick you to play in the national championship game and let them play with that sort of fire and that sort of fury. I'm envious of Florida State because they got an opportunity to do what I think life is about. They got an opportunity to stand and fight, even as they didn't really have a chance to win. That will forever move me because it's the hardest thing to do in the world to show up knowing that you're probably going to get your ass kicked and put your hands up and say, I'll be here. I came to work today. A lot of people don't come to work today. So for the kids that did show up, please understand there are adults in this room, adults across the country that are so moved by what you did because you chose to keep up your end next year. Let's see if he can do a little bit better. Let's, let's run it back. See if he can go undefeated. Even as I might be picking against you again, I might think that your schedule's watered down again. Make me eat it. That's what I tell the kiddos. Make me eat it. If you need to show up in my Instagram DMs and tell me off to get you going, you do that. Because I want you to win. I'm on your team forever and ever. And Mike Norvell is doing his best to try to put them back in this position because nobody is more pissed and angry and sad than that man. Because that's his football team. He recruited those dudes, just like he has recruited DJ Uwe Ungalale to help them build back the roster that can win a national championship in 2024. Or so we think. We'll see. Now, the thing about DJ Uwe Ungalale choosing to go to Florida State is he's going to need some help. As I mentioned, a lot of dudes went into the NFL draft. A lot of dudes went into the transfer portal from this Florida State football team. But like everybody else, they have an opportunity to go into the portal and try to get some guys that can help him at the skill positions. But we also need to add in here, DJ Uyunglele came out the same year as Bryce Young and was the number two player in the 2020 class at his position. Okay? Five-star quarterback. Shows up at Clemson, backing up Trevor Lawrence, and then has a great game against Boston College, has a great game and a loss to Notre Dame, chooses to go into the portal a couple years later after Cade Klubnik comes off the bench to basically lead Clemson to another great season, transfers to Oregon State. And at the time, I'm, I'm big on this because I'm thinking Oregon State is the Iowa of the West Coast. They are a quarterback away. And turns out they were a little bit more than a quarterback away in 2023, but they were right there in November fighting for a chance to play in the Pac-12 championship. However, DJ Uyunglele has yet to live up to his five-star billing. It's a guy that has not thrown for more than 2,638 yards in any season. And it's a guy that has thrown at least seven interceptions in every season that he has had multiple starts, okay? I think you need to continue to develop him. Mike Norvell has something far from a finished product in DJ Uwe Ungulale, but he's got all the tools, man. And if you can hone those tools to a package that works for him, you could end up back in the college football playoff for the first time in over a decade, especially with the expanded field. I take a look at what Tommy Reese was able to do with Jalen Milrow, a quarterback he had to bench following a loss to Texas. And it's more or less 
hey, we whittled the playbook down the things that Jalen Milrow does well. If you can do that at Florida State, you have a player in DJ Uwe Ungulale. Again, you got to get him, got to get him some help. But let's assume for the sake of argument that Florida State does not make the college football playoff. Let's assume they got to play in a bowl game. All right. What does bowl game mean to you? Like, I, not a whole hell of a lot presently, okay? Because as Kirby Smart alluded to, and as many have said, the bowl system is kind of broken. And I came up with some ways for us to try to fix it, okay? Because it's not enough to just say something is broken. You got to offer solutions. Drop the early signing period. I thought the early signing period was cool until we had the transfer portal window in the fall. And then it means absolutely nothing. Because not only will guys not sign during that period and might want to take it into February, we're talking about transfer portal commitments being bigger deals than five-star commitments to whatever university, especially if that five-star is not a quarterback because we don't know if that dude's going to even be around there. I remember Tony Grimes enrolled early at North Carolina. That was a big deal. He has since decided to transfer from Texas A&M. Did you know that? You know, we're talking about Denver Harris taking a visit to go back to Texas A&M, okay? That's where we are in this whole conversation around the early signing period. I think you just go back to February and let the transfer portal do what the transfer portal does if you choose to keep it. But I don't know that that's a good idea. I don't know that the fall transfer portal is doing what we expect it to do. Now, I am loathe to close the fall transfer portal entry period as long as football coaches get to be hired and fired during the same amount of time. I don't see that as fair. And just because that was the way it was doesn't mean it's the way it should be. We can come up with a better fix for this. And it might just be you don't get to fire a head coach until after the February signing period, or you just move the transfer portal entry period back to somewhere in January. How does that work with your academic calendar? It doesn't is the the answer. So maybe you only have the one period in the spring, but I still don't like this idea that you're going to have coaches that can get hired and fired or take other jobs and leave the kids there during spring football to kind of just fester. If they don't want to be there, you don't want to keep them there. Mac Brown was the first to actually acknowledge this. He said, look, I want kids at North Carolina that want to be at North Carolina. And if you don't want to be in North Carolina, I will help you go where you want to go. I think that's the way it's got to be. I know that we got coaches who are bellyaching about having to recruit the kids that are on their roster, to which I say, that's your job. That, that's your job. If you don't want to do the job, quit. I guarantee you, there's a number of us that will take your $10 million head coaching gig tomorrow and we will recruit all 85 of those players every single damn day. If you have got to a point where you are going to moan and complain about doing your job when it's inconvenient to do your job, quit. We ain't got time for that. We, we have no time for that at all, okay? Especially given the buyout that you get for getting fired. Nah, I'm not dealing with that. The other thing that I think we can do to fix the bowl system is compensate the players. Pay, pay, pay the labor. Hello? Now, this kind of gets into some legal territory, but it's really not that complicated. The bowls can pay an NIL deal to a player to promote the bowl they're playing in, which more or less says they're going to play in the bowl, right? Think about what the Pop-Tarts Bowl has done for college football. We got kiddos that had never really been interested in college football that are interested in the Pop-Tart Bowl. I know this because I have a, a colleague who was watching the college football playoff semifinal, his kiddo walked out into the living room and said, are y'all watching the Pop-Tarts Bowl? And they said, no, kid, walk right back into his room and start playing. What if you could bottle that 
and use that to get more kids like that one to uh, watch the football games that we think matter, right? I think that's a good way to go. I also understand that that means taking revenue away from somebody, but you can also grow the revenue share pie and you don't need to be greedy about it. Like if you are going to come up with a way for athletic departments to drop their money into a blind trust that you get to pull on for each one of these athletes, I think everybody wins there. I understand that nobody wants to share their money because this is America, but hey, look, at one point or another, you're gonna have to pay the labor or the labor is gonna do what's in their best interest, like not play in the bowl games. And we got too many as it is, man. We got 41 bowl games and there is no damn reason why five and seven Minnesota should be playing in a bowl game. None. Bowls used to be the prize at the end of a good season. It was the guarantee that you had if we're not going to pick you to play in the college football playoff. If you had a great season, we would honor that. And even then, not always, right? The Freedom Bowl, 1991. Athletic director at Tulsa. It was the athletic director at Tulsa Dennis. His name's Rick Dixon. That dude was jet-setting across the country trying to get Tulsa into a bowl game as an independent because he was recognizing the kind of season they were having was worthy of such a thing. You had to hustle to get into a bowl game. That was a year Tulsa beat Texas A&M. All right? I want that back. I want the bowl system to work to where we are looking forward to it, not as just another game that we have to play. Now, I also understand getting rid of the bowls, probably going to be impossible. Why? Because more people watch the Duke's Mayo Bowl and watch the Texas Bowl, watch the Holiday Bowl, then watch any NBA or NHL game during those periods. As a matter of fact, Sports Media Watch has this great note. 2.2 million people watch those bowls that I just told you about. The Duke's Mayo Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, Texas Bowl on average. The NHL or NBA did not crack half a million viewers on any of their broadcasts during those same windows. We love football. We will watch football, especially if it looks mildly competitive. I know this because I watched every bit of Rutgers beating Miami, all right? And that's that's a pinstripe ball, all right? The pinstripe ball at Yankee Stadium. I'm not huge on playing football games at Major League Baseball stadiums, but you get my point here. I'm watching it, you know what I'm saying? I'm watching Boston College play at Fenway Park against Southern Methodist because I'm that type. And apparently there's more of us of that type than are not. But I think that those are ways in which we can really fix this thing, especially as we're going to 12 teams in the extended playoff, expanded playoff, depending on how grammatically correct you want to be. But we're going to have at least six to, uh, six of those games gone, right? New Year's Six being in them. What if we just decide to cut the number of bowls in half? To where you basically, if you made the conference championship game, we'll find a way for you to get in there. And if you're Notre Dame and you happen to win nine or ten games, we'll also find a way for you to get in there, right? I don't think we need 41, though. And I think the December schedule is just so flooded because we're not just playing college football, we're watching the NFL. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wrote a story for Fox Sports about everything you needed to know for Washington versus Michigan and National Championship game. It was the second most read thing on the site. The most read thing? The playoff picture in the NFL. Why are we, why, why is college football trying to pick a fight with the NFL? We don't do that. Uh-uh. We're not going to win that. Why are we playing the National Championship game after divisionals? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand this. This does not make much sense to me. We need to either move the damn schedule up, which I think is great, started in early August, as opposed to late Sept or early September, and start playing our national championship games around Christmas. That way we get out of the NFL's way, because nothing moves the needle in this country like the NFL. 
College football will always be a priority, but it will never be the priority. We should adapt to such. Now, let's go back to some of the football that was being played. Particularly, I've been putting it off for a long time. Number four, Arizona, rallying to beat number 12, Oklahoma, 38-24 in the Alamo Bowl. I, I, I was not happy watching this football game. I was not happy. I was very happy to see Jackson Arnold, though, right? Because, you know, Dylan Gabriel had committed to transfer to Oregon. Good luck to him. I think Oregon's going to be a good football team in 2024. But the Jackson Arnold experience alongside the Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley experience was really going to get the headlines for OU fans. And Jackson Arnold did what you thought a true freshman five-star quarterback would do. He threw for over 300 yards. He put the ball on the floor. He threw the ball to the other team three times. It wasn't a great outing. Now, I already got OU fans are going, hey, RJ, our wide receiver's not really doing him a whole lot of favors. I'm going, hey, dog, I'm watching him stare down. Receiver's going, don't you do it, don't you do it. And then he does it, and Arizona picks off the rock. Okay? Now, as much as I do want to talk about Jackson Arnold being the thing there, because I think that dude's going to be good. I think the, in the SEC, he's going to be exactly what I expect him to be. Good enough for us to beat the best teams in all of college football, all right? But he's going to need some help. You got to get that dude some skill. You got you got to keep dudes on the roster like Tywee Walker choosing to transfer to Wisconsin. Not a great look for OU's backfield, right? You're going to need somebody that can really pick up that mantle laid down by Drake Stoops, who had an outstanding career at OU after starting as a walk-on, right? We're going to need Nick Anderson to continue to progress, right? Got to locate that, uh, that next CD Lamb, who by the way, is in the running for the NFL MVP if you've been paying attention to what that dude has been doing at Dallas. Forget Dak. 88 is the guy, okay? But you need to do all that. On the other side, you got you to gotta fix that defense. Like, I thought the defense was great until Arizona, but turns out Arizona's a really good football team. Like, they were 9-3 going into this thing, and there's a reason why they're ranked inside the top 15, and they're going to give the Big 12 hell with Noah Fafita back there who looked better than the five-star from Denton in Jackson Arnold. Hello? Jeff, Jed Fish got it going on out there. But I, I think we're going to be fine at quarterback at Oklahoma. Problem with that is you might get into another spot where the guy behind him ain't that good if he gets hurt. You want to go fix that if you're Brent Venables. But I'm not I'm not at all worried about what Jackson Arnold is or isn't uh, at this point. Again, 26 to 45, 361, two TDs, three INTs, put the ball on the ground. I'll take it in the Alamo Bowl. What do I care about winning the Alamo Bowl? We got 10 wins. That's all I wanted, right? Beat Texas got 10 wins. I'm not going to ask for more. I'm going to be happy with this. Getting the 10 wins against the SEC? Is that schedule that they gave Oklahoma? Hell, they're going to make the college football playoff with that schedule they get 10 wins. All right, let's talk about number nine, Missouri, controlling number seven, Ohio State, 14-3 to three in the Cotton Bowl. Man, this question really was not one I was prepared to answer at the start of 2024, but can Missouri win the SEC in 2024? Can they do it? I mean, anything is possible, but I Cody Schrader's gone. That might be the best tailback that Missouri has ever had. Not bad for a walk-on, right? Not bad for a walk-on. Brady Cook did not look like the dude that could lead you to an SEC championship game against that Ohio State defense, but that Ohio State defense is one of the top five in the country. And they did yeoman's work just keeping Ohio State in the game, right? Because first you got Devin Brown going out there. He doesn't look great. He turns the ankle. He can't go back in. And then Lincoln Keen holds. He ain't it, dog. Like I, he ain't it. You you need to go into the portal. You need to get some help over there, Ryan Day, because your quarterback is the most important part of your offense. We know this because when Kyle McCord chose to leave, people were like, "Cool, Devin Brown will be that guy." 
Now there's a reason why Kyle McCord was your starter. There's three reason why he threw for over 30, uh, 3,000 yards, right? And maybe that dude didn't like the idea. You going into the portal to try to get somebody to replace him, and now you have to, right? So bear that in mind. But I think right now, you got to put your chips into the middle of the table for a guy like Will Howard, who at one point was thought to just be the guy at USC. And then Miller Moss went and had, no, 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 I'm the guy. I, I'm, I'm the guy. I win the Holiday Bowl. I threw six TDs. You can come get it if you want to. And even Lincoln Riley admitted, he's like, hey, I think that guy might have absolutely run off anybody that was up from wanting to come here. And I'm going, yep, probably, right? Meanwhile, Ryan Day gets a guy like Will Howard. Is he as prolific as a guy like Kyle McCord? No, he wasn't. Not passing the ball. But they weren't particularly great running the football at Ohio State this year either. And that's something else that Will Howard can give you. He can give you the kind of guy that can go for on a really great team in a really great year, 3,000, 1,000. But Kyle McCord also had Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, Travion Henderson, Emeka Abuka, right? Carnell Tate coming back. You lose Noah Rogers to the, uh, to the portal, but you've got guys coming in, right? You've got Brandon Ennis on that roster. Like you, you have weapons at wide receiver and in the backfield for that matter. I think that you have to nail your quarterback situation. And that's been, frankly, a thing that Ryan Day has had to deal with most years. Like he needed to figure out that Justin Fields was the guy. He picked Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow, which was still the right thing to do, no matter what Joe Burrow became. Right. He had a battle between CJ Stroud and Jack Miller. He had a, a battle between what we thought was Common Court and CJ Stroud at one point. And now Common Court versus Devin Brown. And he's got to go find another quarterback. We'll see, man. We'll see. I think that I, I, I think that he's gonna find this guy. I think that Ryan Day's too good a head coach and that offense is too inviting to a great quarterback for you not to find a guy that is capable of winning football games at Ohio State, but it ain't about winning football games at Ohio State. It's about beating Michigan at Ohio State, especially if Michigan up and wins the national championship on Monday. It's going to get real hot over there in Columbus because it was already hot going into the season. Do you realize that Ryan Day was on a hot seat going into this season after they damn near beat Georgia and probably win the national championship because Texas Christian ain't that good? Now we're talking about is that guy the guy? Not unlike we were talking about Jim Harbaugh in 2020. I, I still say this. If Jim Harbaugh was the head coach at Michigan for Ohio State, Michigan 2020, and they lost that game, I don't think he would be the head coach at Michigan in 2021. That's how thin the margins are, and that's how much these rivalry games matter. Like I tell people uh, around here at home that Ohio State, Michigan is my college football playoff national championship. That is the biggest game of the regular season every year. And Ohio State fans are the first people to treat it like that. So we'll see. If they can convince that guy to go to Ohio State, I think that's great. But right now it's Ohio State, Miami, USC, or going to the NFL. We'll see what Will Howard decides to do. Meanwhile, the best quarterback in the transfer portal just decided to take his name out of the transfer portal and put it into the NFL draft. Washington State quarterback Cam Ward declared for the NFL draft. And really... Sunk a lot of hopes around the country. There, that dude was holding up the line. Okay, Florida State was waiting to offer DJ Uyunglele because they still might get Cam Ward. Miami did the same thing until they found out that Cam Ward was going to be going to the NFL draft. Then they turned their sights to one Will Howard. 
I could never get anybody to tell me that Cam Ward was taking a look at Ohio State or Ohio State was taking a look at Cam Ward, but you got to believe that if that dude showed up on the doorstep, you wouldn't turn down nothing from your collar. And you know what? That was kind of a thing that could happen because that's what Baker Mayfield did at Oklahoma. He just showed up one day as a walk-on, and Bob was like, yeah, sure. You can play quarterback at OU. I saw what you did at Texas Tech. But it's also a dude that has shown himself to be really a prodigious talent. Like, 34-48 for 438 against Oregon with a TD. 32 of 48 for 317 with three TDs and two picks against Washington. Two of the best teams in the country. Certainly one of the best teams in the country in the Apple Cup in Washington. Some folks thought that that dude was really courting more, nearly, not more than, but nearly a dozen $1 million plus offers in NIL deals to go play quarterback at said, pro, uh, said university, said program. Knowing what we know about how Miami has gotten down in recent years, the alumni at USC and how deep their pockets go, you could see how, yeah, okay, cool. And then add to this, Nebraska head coach Matt Rule had said, hey, just so we're being clear, a good quarterback out of the portal is going to cost $1.52 million. Okay, if you think the Cam Ward is the best of those quarterbacks, think of it just taking a little bit more to get him there. And even so, that dude decided to enter the NFL draft, which you know I think is kind of puzzling. Because I've always told the kiddos, if you can make money in college football, you should do it because the NFL is going to be there. Take this money right now. Have a great time, right, playing on a team that's real good. And then you get to put that money into an index fund, put that money into a savings account, and then go try to make your living in the NFL. Whatever you can do to stack your bread, dog. Stack your bread. Get this money, okay? However, in the case of Cam Ward, that's not a day one NFL quarterback right now. Now, he blows up the combine. Yeah, he could work his way up into being drafted among the first 32 picks. But right now, it's a dude that puts the ball on the ground and throws the ball to the other team as much as he goes for 400 yards. Like, the thing to remember is, over the last four years, Cam Ward has fumbled football 46 times according to Pro Football Focus. 46 times. It is a dude that's thrown at least seven picks in each of the last three years. Okay, it's feast or famine with that dude. And if you can fix his ball security issues, his talent is all there. He can run, he can throw. He's going to be a great quarterback if he can get those turnovers under control. I think he's got those opportunities. Also a guy that took a bunch of sacks. You know, he took three sacks or more in all but two games in 2023. And there were at least four games where he had four sacks or more. And if you think that sacks is a quarterback stat and the more we play the game, the more I think it is, you got to get rid of the football. So it's a project, right? But right now, I slot Cam Ward where I would slot Quinn Ewers, which is about second, third, fourth, fifth round, but not a first-round quarterback. You're going to be compared to guys like Drake May, like Caleb Williams, like Bo Nix, like Michael Penix Jr. Can you convince an NFL team that you are a better quarterback than those guys? I don't know. I don't know. But he's going to have four months to work that out. And you know what? Do graduate it. So... Let him do whatever the hell he wants to do. But I always thought it was interesting that people would say, hey, kids want to go into the portal because they think they're going to make some money. Well, it turns out kids still want to go play in the NFL. Like, I'm sure Ohio State would have come up out of its pockets to keep Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State. But that dude wants to go play in the NFL. And I don't blame them, right? It is the highest form of football that we have. And it beats the hell out of going to class. Always will. And as soon as you can get a job, I say, you don't need to be going to college anymore. You got a job, right? Meanwhile, talking about getting a job, Texas quarterback Malik Murphy chose to transfer to Duke. I don't know that there's a better place for you to secure your job prospects, young man. 
I don't know that you're going to win no championships at Duke. Especially when Manny Diaz is your head coach and trying to figure it out in year one. Not that Manny Diaz is a bad coach, but you get my point here. Okay? It's Duke. I, I probably would have chosen to go somewhere else. But you know what? Given what Riley Leonard was able to do at Duke, maybe you think that you can do better. Now, he also had Mike Elko, who turns out to be that dude that could win at Duke. And that is no easy thing. And now he's at AM. I always thought that Malik Murphy would get looks from places like Washington, right? Where we've seen other guys go, right? We we have seen really great things happen at places like LSU with transfer quarterbacks. And I thought, yeah, okay, those are places he could go, but he chose to go to Duke and commit there pretty early, pretty often. I think he's gonna be fun to watch, but I also think that conference is gonna be fun to watch because they're gonna add a couple of teams from the Pac-12 in Stanford, in Cal, in SMU, and then we'll see. But it was kind of puzzling to me. What was not as puzzling to me, though, with one Malik Murphy choosing to go to Duke is what Trevor Etienne decided to do. Now, we brought these names up, right, in Malik Murphy and decision to really transfer before the college football playoff because he had to. That's what the calendar does. Another reason to kind of move the transfer portal window around. thing about Trevor Etienne was he played at Florida. So when you go to Florida and you choose to transfer to Georgia, Holy smokes. I used to think that nobody would do this, right? And I guess that's my own naivete, uh, naivete, and I'm not usually that guy. But choosing to transfer from one rival school to another has become kind of the thing. Like, Brendan Thompson did this at Oklahoma. He transferred from Texas to Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? We saw Trace Ford transfer from Oklahoma State to Oklahoma. And now we've seen the best tailback at Florida transfer to the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm curious as to see how this year goes for him, not just because I think that Trevor Etienne is a really great talent and they love to run the football at Georgia. Look at what Dajan Edwards and Kendall Milton had done just this year, but that's going to be a backfield that people forgot has Branson Robinson in it. And I knew the dude blew out his knee in, in, the, uh, in August, but if you've ever seen photos of Branson Robinson, you understand what I'm saying when I say he is the biggest, strongest most physical back that we have seen play college football since Derrick Henry. So you're going to have thunder with Branson Robinson and lightning and Trevor Etienne and Carson Beck coming back. I don't know that anybody's going to want it with them Georgia Bulldogs, but ain't nobody wanted it with them Georgia Bulldogs for the better part of three years. And Alabama is the only team to beat them in the last couple of years. I think Trevor Etienne just made a strong football team that much stronger. All right, that is going to do it for this live episode of the number one college football show. We will be back live on Monday night following the national championship game right here on Fox Sports app, the YouTubes, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Please come join us. Join the live chat. Let us know what you think. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chaz Boulay is sending in the signals. Niles Owens on the live switches. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We'll be back live on Monday night. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces.